Are you guys still excited? Even when you found out I was speaking, hallelujah. You're still excited, amen. You guys can have your seats here this morning. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, AJ and worship team. Just give the worship team a big hand, amen. <laughs> hallelujah. Sometimes I feel like my nickname should be the weeping preacher. Every time I get behind the pulpit and I think about what God did in my life, and I think about where God brought me from, and I think about what God is doing, it, it brings me to tears because, you know, if I can sum up, sur- surmise my life before Christ, uh, I could probably, s- three words, dirty white boy. <laughs> that was my life. I, it wasn't, I wasn't a gang member. I wasn't, you know, I didn't grow up in that kind of a lifestyle. I mean, I knew those people. I hung out with some of those people. But my life, I was just a dirty white boy. I was just a plain, dirty drug addict, lowest to the low. That was me, you know. Um, and maybe some of you guys can relate, Amen. Maybe some of you can't, but so for me to, to be behind a pulpit, to be sharing, you know, the, uh, the precious word of God is, is very, you know, <laughs> I don't deserve it. Um, so I thank God for that opportunity because I know it's only him. Um, I thank my wife as well uh, for being, I always say she's my biggest cheerleader. Um, even when I don't think I can do it, she tells me, you can do it. And I keep telling her, no, I can't. And she says, yes, you can. <laughs> no, I can't. Yes, you can. And usually she wins. Even if I don't believe her, she still wins. Amen. Um, and I want to thank my pastor for giving me this opportunity for believing in me. Because um, he, was, he was there, when, you know, when I was struggling through all my stuff after I got saved. Because I'm a product of the home. Thank God for the home. If it wasn't for the home, you know. You know, you guys got to understand that the home is the heartbeat of this ministry. You know. The pastors and the evangelists and the, even the pastors' wives that you see in our ministry, those, these mega men, these mega women that are in our ministry that are doing awesome things for God, they're products of the home. You know, and, I'm not, and I don't put myself at in any, in any level with them, but just to say I'm a product of the home. And a lot of you are products of the home. You know, or you know people that are in the home or went through the home. And you know what happens in the home. And I thank God for the home. You know, and I thank God for using them to, you know, uh, continue to touch people, continue to reach out, you know, because I know that God is not done. It wasn't, you know, the home wasn't something that happened in the 60s, in the 70s of our ministry. The home is something that continues to, to be the heartbeat of our ministry and continues to be that thing that pumps our ministry. Amen. I think it's a good thing that we have that, the heart of the bay because I believe that there's something pumping in the home. Can I hear an amen? And I just thank God for that. And I also thank God for my pastor's wife, Sister Shelly. She's not here. She's in the children's church. Thank God for that. I, you know, I want to thank her as well for, for the opportunity, for believing in me, um, for my pastor believing in me, for uh, allowing me to have the opportunity to go down and, you know, to uh, uh, take my test. Hello, they're not going to just hand it to me, amen, just because I look good. Hallelujah, because I went and got a haircut and everything, you know. Um, I'm going to take a shower and I'm going to, you know, brush my teeth and I'm going to put my, you know, I'm going to shine my shoes. But uh, hopefully, I don't know if that will give me an extra credit or not, but, you know. I'm praying for it, hallelujah, because I, I know that it's nothing, it's not, nothing to take lightly, nothing at all to take lightly. Um, so I thank you for the opportunity for believing in me to go down and to take the test and to, you know, uh, bring glory to God. No, not to myself, not to my family, not to anybody else, not even to this church, but to the glory of God. Because it's only him who can change a man's life. It's only him who can take a dirty white boy and turn him into what you see before you today. I don't know what you want to call it. What, what's what you see before you this morning, Amen. And if you have your Bibles with you here this morning, go ahead and turn them to the book of 1 Thessalonians. Somebody say Thessalonians. I like that name, Thessalonian. I think I would have liked to have been called a Thessalonian if I lived back in the Bible days. Amen. Not just because it sounded cool, but uh, 
but because they, if you read the book of Thessalonians, the first, second Thessalonians, and you read that these were some pretty good Christians. Amen. Somebody say good Christian. You know that God has called us all to be good Christians, right? But here uh, in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, this was a great church. They were doing awesome stuff. And I believe that we can even parallel our ministry with the Thessalonians. Because um, how many know this is a great church? And we're doing a lot of great stuff. Can I hear an amen? And I believe we can really compare ourselves on a certain things and certain levels to this church. Because um, Paul talks a lot about the Thessalonians. He, he com commends them in a lot of areas. And here this morning, if you're there, say amen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to read, uh, I'm going to start in verse 1. And it says, Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God. Somebody say, please God. As we have taught you, you are doing this already, and we encourage you to do so more and more. For you remember what we taught you in the name of the Lord Jesus, and God wants you to be holy, so you should keep clear of all sexual sin. Somebody say, keep clear of all sexual sin. Then each of you will control your body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion as the pagans do, in the ignorance of God and his ways. Amen. Now I want to tell you a story about a duck. Somebody say duck. Hallelujah. How many of you guys ever watched, you guys watch that program, Duck Dynasty? Nobody? Raise your hand if you watch Duck Dynasty. Isn't that a great show? And you guys got a wife. You guys never watch it. You guys got to check it out. It's really great. I don't know you guys. I, I'm, a, I'm a born again redneck. Hello. I don't wear, I, you know, I, if I could, I would probably wear boots, but I don't. Because, you know, I tried to separate myself from that from a long time ago. Amen. I got saved. But, uh, amen. That's, so, it's, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a really, really good show. And these guys are Christians. They're Christians, and they don't, they don't you know, they're very vocal about their, their faith. And, but it's a really, really good show. And I just brought that up because it's, I'm going to tell you a story about a duck. Hallelujah. So check it out. It's on Amy. Praise the Lord. Give him a little plug there. But the story is about a duck. It's a wild duck. See, this wild duck was flying northward with his mates across Europe during the springtime. And on this route, on their way uh, flying, he happened to land in a barnyard in Denmark and where he quickly made friends with the tame ducks that lived there. Now, the wild duck enjoyed the corn. He, he enjoyed the fresh water that was there. And he, you know what? He just said, you know what? I think I'm going to stay for an hour. And then he decided, you know what? I think I'm going to stay for a day. And then a day turned into a week. And then he decided, to, you know what? I'm going to stay for a month. And at the end of that time, he contemplated flying to join his friends in the vast Northland that they were on their way to. But he began to enjoy the safety of the barnyard. And the tame ducks had made him feel so welcome. So he stayed for the summer. Now one autumn day, while his wild mates were flying south, he heard their quacking. And it stirred him with delight. And he enthusiastically began to flap his wings, and he rose into the air to join his friends. But much to his dismay, he found that he could only rise no higher than the eaves of the barn. As he waddled back to the safety of the barnyard, he muttered to himself, I'm satisfied here. I've got plenty of food. And this is a good area. Why should I leave? So he spent the winter on the farm. Now when the springtime came again, when the wild ducks began to fly overhead again, he felt a strange stirring within his breast. But he did not even try to fly up to meet his friends this time. When they returned in the fall, they again invited him to rejoin them and fly with them. But this time, the duck didn't even notice him. There was no stirring within his breast. He simply kept on eating corn and getting fat. Somebody say fat. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Uh, I was reading that story and I was like, wow. How many of those sometimes it happens like this in our Christianity? Right? We come in, we get saved, 
you know, and God does something in our lives, and, you know, we begin to get comfortable, and it's like, wow, this is good, I like this, this is pretty cool, you know, I could, I could, you know, sit in the back row and eat my corn, and, you know, I'm cool right back here, amen, but anyway, you know, how many know that God has got a lot more for us, God has got a lot more for us, now, we're talking about the Thessalonian church, and how great it was, and how awesome it was, it was a really, really great church, doing a lot of stuff for God, just like I believe this church is doing as well, now, like I said, Paul said a lot of good things about this church. Paul spoke a lot about this church. And one of the things he says is, is, you became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. And so you became a model to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Now, the Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. And I was reading that, and I think, wow, that's kind of like our ministry, right? A lot of people have heard about our ministry. Not because Victor Outreach is, you know, just because we have a big name or anything like that, it's because of things that we do. Because anything God has given us. God has given us a call. God has given us a purpose. God has given us something specific to do within this world. Can I hear an amen? amen? And the people of this world have heard about it. Amen? The people of this world have heard about it. Why? Because we've gone out and we've touched them. We've gone out and we've made things happen because God has empowered us to do it. He's given us that special call to go out and reach the drug addict. He's given us a special call to go out and reach those prostitutes, those pimps that are still out there lost, right? God has given us that. So people have heard about it, just like the church here in First Thessalonians. And also Paul goes on to say, indeed, you are our glory and our joy. And he goes on again to say, for now we really live. Since you are standing firm in the Lord, we can thank God enough for you. We can't thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of God because of you. He's talking about the church. Now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that these Thessalonian church, these, these Christians there in Thessalonia, where they were doing a pretty good job, right, according to Paul. They were doing a great job. People were hearing about them all over the, all over the known world at that time. They were hearing about this church, these Christians there in Thessalonica. So they were doing a really good job. They seemed to have this Christianity thing all together. Hello. Right? Some people say, wow, you're doing that Christian thing. Right? How many of you know that Christianity is not a thing? Christianity is a person. It's him. It's a relationship. But they had it pretty much, they were, they, according to the world, they had this Christianity thing down. Can I hear an amen? And I think it's safe to say that when it came to living the Christian life, these guys pretty much rocked it. Hello. They rocked it. Now, Paul concludes in the third chapter of his letter. He says this, he's, he's praying. He's praying here. And he, this is what he says. He says, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ clear the way for us to come to you. And may the Lord make you love, make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when the Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Let me, let me say uh, technology. Hallelujah. I'm still learning to use technology here. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, what is it here that Paul is changing the saying in some of these verses that we were just reading? What is it that Paul is trying to get across to the, to the readers here? Well, for starters, he's telling them that they were doing a good job. He's telling the Thessalonican church, you guys are doing a great job. He's admonishing them, thinking, you guys are doing great. You're doing good works, right? You guys have got a lot of faith. You're doing all these different things. He's also telling them that they're living to what? Please God. He says that you're pleasing God. You're living your lives to please God. And that they are loving all the brothers throughout Macedonia, right? That's what he's telling them. But he's also informing them that it's not enough, right? You say, well, what do you mean? He's telling, he's telling them, you guys are doing a great job. Everything you're doing is great. It's awesome. You guys got a lot of faith. You got a lot of works. People are getting changed. Lives are being transformed. It's great. It's awesome. But then he tells them, but it's not enough. Hello, got quiet. Man, and I said, and when I, when I opened, I said, I can, we can kind of compare ourselves to this church in a lot of different ways. And one of them is because we're doing a lot of good stuff. 
We're doing a lot of awesome stuff in this church. Can I hear an amen? Lives are getting transformed. Look, the church is full this morning. Hello. We're doing a lot of good stuff. But it's only because of the power of Jesus Christ. But God allows us to go out and do these things. But I believe that God is saying, you know what? That's great. It's awesome. You know, I commend you for that. But it's not enough. Because he says it there. He says there, he says what? Here in the verse, uh, probably I need glasses maybe. He says, I want to encourage you there in chapter 4 to do, do so. Do what you're doing, but do it more and more. He didn't say do it less and less or do it the same and the same. He said do it more and more. Now, why do you think he would say that? Because there's still more people out there that need to get saved. There's still more people out there that still need to hear the gospel. Can I hear an amen? There's still more people out there that say, you know what? I need something in my life because I'm tired of the, what I'm going through right now. I'm tired of the life that I'm living right now. So there's more and more people out there that need to hear the gospel. It's not just about selling for what we have here this morning. Can I hear an amen? This is great. This is awesome. God is saying this is great. Church is full. It's awesome. I'm, I'm happy. I'm pleased. But I need you to do more. Right? I mean, we got, how many guys we got in the home, Greg? 15. That's awesome. That's great. But God is saying, come on, we need to do more. We need to, we need, come on, we need to pack it out. We need to overflow. I remember when, when I was in the home, we had a bigger spot. We had a bigger spot when I was in the home. We were there on Washington. We had, we had the big Victorian out front. And we had the, the convalescent wing in the back. And we had, there was times when we were in the home, we had 57 guys in the home. We would pack, we, there were times when my director would say, come on, let's get in the van. I'd go, where are we going? Just, and you guys know what I'm talking about. Just get in the van. Well, where are we going? Just get in the van. All right. So we'd get in the van, and we would go out to the streets, and we would just pick guys up. We would just we'd roll up on them, boom, slide the door open. We'd jump out and be like, come on, bro. Because we could tell when somebody needs Jesus, right? You could tell somebody that was like, didn't have no place to stay. They were messed up, tore back. So we would like, we'd, we'd see them, man. We'd just roll up on them, boom. And we'd just start, we'd start giving it to them. And next thing you know, it's like that. Hey, guys ever seen The Wedding Singer? In the, the limo part, the guy, he grabs that guy and he grabs him. He just throws him in the van or the, in the limo. Then we would do stuff like that. And we would just get guys in the home and we would pack it out. And we had, there was times when we were sleeping in the hallway. Our direct, my director would tell you, hey, get your mattress and put it in the hallway because we need to give it to the younger brother. All right. And, but we would pack it out. Well, we need to do more. We need to do more. Because I know as soon as we pack this home out, God is going to do something. God is going to say, you know what, the place is not big enough. We need to get a bigger place because we need to do more. And we need to do more. Somebody say more. more. Hallelujah. You see, Paul wants them to know, and he wants us to know here today that the job is never done. Just because we get saved, or just because we come to church, we get saved, you know, we get involved in ministry, and we're doing some stuff that our, now our job is done. And now, you know, I'm there now. I'm good. Everything's great. I'm, I'm still married. Hallelujah. My kids love me, you know, and stuff like that. And now I'm, I'm here. I'm done. No, God's saying, no, there's more. Paul's telling the Thessalonians, there's more yet to do. Somebody say amen. That their growing is never going to stop. There's always more to do. I know sometimes we don't want to hear that. There's always more to do, right? It's kind of like a job. you're at your job and you think, man, I'm done. And the boss says, nope, got some more for you to do. Amen. Pastor Steve used to always say, you know, what's the reward for a job well done? More work. Amen. You think he made that up. He got God probably deposited that right into his heart and said, oh, you think you're done, son? I got some more for you to do. And our pastor was, he was like, praise God. And he said, let's do it. Now, today's message, I didn't really put a title on it. But if you want to, you could say go into the deep end. Somebody say deep end. Because you know when it comes to doing more, you got to go to the deep end, right? How many of you guys ever like to go to the deep end in the swimming pool? I'm the only one? All right. Praise the Lord. Well, why do we need to do more? Why do we have to do more? Because, you know, God has not called us to be shallow water Christians, right? Because how many know that, we, you know, when we were young, before we learned how to swim, we used to put our feet in the water. Oh, that's kind of cool, right? All right. 
And then we used to, once we got used to that, we got over that fear, we would get down the first step. We had the little rail there, right? We'd be like, all right, all right, I'm good. You know, they, people would be telling, come on, come on, come in. You're like, no, 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 I'm all right. And then you'd be like, all right. Oh, and then it would be up to here, you know, and you're like, then you're like, all right, you can touch the water. And you're like, I'm good right here. All right, I can. And then sometimes that's what happens in our Christianity. We get saved, right? We come to church the first couple times, and we're like, oh, I'm just testing the water. All right, I kind of like this. It's kind of cool. You know, and then God begins to speak to us. God begins to touch us, and so we take another step. We get down. Now our feet are in the water, right? Maybe we, you know, we still haven't got saved yet. We're like, but, you know, we're hearing the message. We're like, we're feeling it. We're like, God is doing something. I'm feeling a tug in my heart. And finally, we're in. We're up to our, you know, that's, we get saved. And, but sometimes we get to this level in our Christianity. We get in the shallow water of Christianity, but we like to stay there, right? We're just kind of like, you ever seen those ones that are just kinda, they're in the pool, and they're just, the whole time, they're just like, water's up to here, they're just like waiting around, like, hey, man, hallelujah, you know, yeah, yeah, splash, they're splashing each other, or they're like, no, no, don't splash me, you know, but they, they never get out of the shallow water, right? And sometimes that's where we get stuck. Somebody say stuck. But God doesn't want us to get stuck there, amen? He wants us not to be those shallow water Christians. He's called us to be deep water Christians. Now, why, why do we need to do more? Why isn't it that we, we're not just doing enough? Why, can't, why isn't this enough? What I'm doing right now, why isn't it enough? Why should we want to swim to the deep end? Hmm? Ask yourself, why should I want to, sw- to swim to the deep end? Why should we settle for a life of eating corn in the barnyard? Why shouldn't I just be able to eat my corn? Or has to be say, eat your mush and hush. Why can't I just eat my mush and hush? And just chill out and just hang out and just be, you know, be a Christian. And just be here in the shallow water. Amen? Sometimes that's what we ask ourselves when God is, mm, come on, I need you to do some, mm, do some more. And we say, well, why? Why do I got to do Why do I got to swim over to the deep end? Right? Those are the questions that, you know, hopefully we're going to answer today. We're going to answer some of those questions today. Why? Why? We always have these questions in our Christian. Why? Well, let me suggest a few answers to you here this morning. Why should we go to the deep end? Why should we go from the shallow water of some call it the safety of the shallow water, right? Because pretty much you can see everything that's going on here. You can, you know, you can see all around you. You can see what's going on. You got a good, you got a good vision, right? You can see everything that's happening. Why should I leave the safety of the shallow water to go to the deep end where it's unknown? Somebody say unknown. Well, first of all, because we are to live our lives to please God. That was the reason why God created us. God created us to worship Him and to please Him. Now, in the text that we were reading there in First Thessalonians, Paul writes. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask and we urge in the Lord Jesus to what? To do this more and more. See, living to please God is a common theme throughout Paul's letters. If you read all of Paul's letters, he's always talking about pleasing God. He also goes on to say in Ephesians chapter 4, that as a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And in Philippians 1.27, he goes on to say, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then in Colossians 1.10, he says, and we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. You see, we're to live our lives to please God. We're to walk in a way that is worthy to bring him glory. And understand that there will always be more than what we can do. Amen? Just because he asks us to do more doesn't mean he, he expects us to do everything. Okay? Let's get that clear. Before. He just asks you to do more. He's not saying, I want you to do everything. He's saying, I want you to just do a little bit more. Can I hear an amen? amen? In and with our lives. He's called us to do more, not just with our lives, but in our life. Because how many know that we can do a lot more with our lives? 
I can always get involved in more ministry. I can always get involved in other things. I can always get involved in community. I can get involved in a lot of different, you know, projects. I can do a lot of things with my life. God says, great, that's awesome. I want to do that with your life. But I also want to do more in your life. Are you with me? Some of you need to hear that this morning. God wants to do something in your life. Not just with your life. He wants to do something in your life. He wants you to do something more in your life. He wants you to pray more. He wants you to get more involved in his word. Because when you get more involved in his word, you get more involved in prayer, God begins to do something supernaturally within your life. Because this is, this, is, this, is you know, this is our instruction manual right here. Amen. I know, guys, we're like, we don't like to read instructions because, you know, we're, we're prideful. Come on, guys. You've got to back me up right here. right? Come on. We, we got a lot of pride when it comes to instructions. Like, oh, I don't need that. I know how to do it. I got it. I'm going to put it together. No problem. And usually it doesn't. You're like, what's these extra pieces for? Where'd these come from? You know, it's like, oh, just in case something breaks. You know, then you have extras. That's not the reason why you have extra pieces. Amen. Come on, guys. Back me up. But this is our, ba- this is our basic instructions. You know, God has given us exactly what we need. He says, just read my word. Just read my word and pray. And I'll reveal to you exactly what I need you to do. But see, God says, you know what? I just need you to do a little bit more. So we're to leave a, leave, live a life pleasing to God. We're to walk in a way worthy of him. Amen. Now, I think that this passage that we just read in the first chapter of Colossians, it gives us kind of a good place to start. So if you look back in the verse that we just read in Colossians, there's a word there or two words that says bearing fruit. And the phrase in there is growing in the knowledge of God. Now these two things that we can, these are two of the things that we can do to please God. You say, well, how do I please him? These are a couple of things that we can do. By bearing fruit and by growing in the knowledge of God. Because when you begin to grow in the knowledge of God by reading his instructions and you begin to pray, you begin to find out what the knowledge of God is. You begin to find out what it is God has for you. And then you begin able to bear fruit. Because God will tell you, this is what I want you to do. You remember I told you I want to do a little bit more? This is that little bit more I want you to do. And then you begin able to bear fruit in that area. Can I hear an amen? Now, if you were an apple tree farmer, amen, anybody here ever farmed before? Hello, come on now. I know you guys used to farm some stuff. You know what I'm talking about. But here we're going to talk about apple trees, amen. It's all right. Now, if you were an apple tree farmer, What's the best way that those apple trees could please you? Think about it. What's the best way an apple tree could please you if you're an apple tree farmer? By bearing fruit, right? To bear fruit. By giving you lots of good apples. In the same manner, when we bear fruit and we we bear good deeds, we bear good works in his name, it pleases him. Just like that apple tree farmer. Just like if you were an apple tree farmer. It pleases him when we bear good fruit. Because that's what he created us for. He created us to please him and to bear good fruit. See, when we live actively... Active lives for Christ, it pleases Him. And it pleases God when we grow in our knowledge of Him. It's, isn't it great when, you, when somebody learns something a little bit more about you, right? When somebody comes in and says, hey, they want to know a little more about you. And they're like asking you questions. And they're like, oh, so what do you do? And, you know, oh, is that your wife? And they, they begin to inquire about things about you. And they begin to get a little bit closer to you. Doesn't that please you? You're like, wow, that person actually has an interest in me. It's the same thing with God. When we begin to go after the knowledge of God, and we begin to ask questions and get closer to Him, it pleases Him. Somebody say, please Him. Now, we do want to please God. Can I hear an amen? Because why? Because we love him. Do you love God here this morning? I hope you guys love God here this morning. Amen. But it's okay if you say, I don't love God. It's all right. He still loves you. We'll get you there. Amen. If you don't love him this morning, it's okay. We'll get you there. By the end of the service, we're going to get you there. You're going to love him. Hallelujah. Another reason why we need to go to the deep end is because we're called to be holy. Somebody say holy. Holy moly. Right? Sometimes we don't like to hear that word, holy. Uh Uh-oh. We hear holy and we think, uh, when I first heard the word holy, I thought the first thing that popped into my mind was something that was unattainable. You hear about holiness and righteousness and all these different big, you know, 
holy words. You think, oh my God, I gotta be holy. But the Bible says only he's holy. How can I be holy? Right? It's like kind of turns us away sometimes. But I'm here to tell you that God, you can be holy. You can be holy. Because we're called to be holy. God wouldn't call you to be holy if it wasn't possible. It's like, you know, sending someone up to bat that doesn't know how to hit the ball. That has no, you know, you're not gonna send a, a bad hitter up to the plate to play professional baseball that can't hit the ball. That has no, you know, hope of hitting the ball. But no, God says, I've called you. I called you by name. I, call, I specifically called you to be holy. Somebody say holy. holy. We are called to be different in the world. Paul says in verse 3 of our text, it is good, it's God's will that you should be sanctified. And down in verse 7 it says, for God did not call us to be impure, but to what? To live a holy life. Now to be sanctified means to be like Christ. How many of you guys want to be like Christ? Now we're called to be sanctified, justified. Somebody say justified. Now, how many know that justification happens immediately? Now, we were declared not guilty when we were baptized into Christ. When we got saved and all these different things we, we did when we, you know, when we came to Christ, we became justified. God said, okay, it's all good. Somebody say, it's all good. It's all good. How many, I just want to let you guys know here this morning, if you're saved, you're sanctified, it's all good. It's all good. I'm not going to get into a big theological thing about sanctification, but our sanctification is another matter. Our sanctification is a process. It's a process. Somebody say process. It's a process whereby we become more like Jesus. Amen. And you and I have been called to a different standard. We've been called to travel a higher road. Somebody say a higher road. We've been, we've been, we're not called to, to, to cruise on the small little, you know, what, what are those four-lane highways? You ever get on those four-lane highways? Cars are just going, shoom, shoom. And it's kind of crazy on those roads. Can I hear an amen? But God has called us to on those high roads, those little single-lane, or some of them not even single-lane roads. They're like, you know, your tire's hanging over on one side, you know, because it's so small. But that's the road that God has called us to travel, those untraveled roads, those high roads. God has called us to, to travel those, to match to the beat of a different drummer. Hello. Right? We march to a different beat. Can I hear an amen? We don't, we don't step to the, to, the, to the beat of the world. Amen. Because I mean, because the world is trying to get people to step to their beat. Right? It's got a certain beat, like, come on, immorality. Come on, sexual sin. Come on, promiscuousness. And that's, the, that's the beat the world's playing right now. But God has called us. To, to step to a different beat. Come on, holiness. Come on, sanctification. You know, it's a different beat. Some of us, we got to learn how to gotta get, some, get some soul. To, to, right? Some of us, I know I'm white, but it's okay. I can, I can hold a beat. I can hold a beat with the best of them, amen? Sometimes. Right? But we're called to be out of step with the world. Not in step with the world. Sometimes we get caught up in getting in step with the world, things that are happening in our job, things that are happening, you know, going on around us, the political, all this political craziness that's going on, and all this different stuff. We get caught up in Obama and all these different things, and all of a sudden, we're next, next, you know, we're in step with the world. We're like, yep, yep, that's right. Oh, I heard, that's, I heard that. You know, we're just like, you know, in step with the world. What's going on? Instead, we're, God has called us to be out of step. You ever been out of step with something? Right? If you're a singer and if you've ever been, like, out of step with the singing, you feel it. You're like, oh, well, well, something's not right. You know, that's how we're supposed to be with the world. We're supposed to feel that difference. We're supposed to feel that there's something going on here. Something's wrong, right? Something's going on because I'm not in step with what's going on, but that's a good thing. Can I hear an amen? We're not supposed to be in step with the world because God has called us to be holy. God has called us to be different. We are to be pure because God is pure. Somebody say pure. Check this out. A recent Gallup poll surveyed evangelical Christians who say that the Bible is their sole base of authority. And the poll found out that 80% of all evangelicals said that their Christianity does not affect the way they live their life. Wow. Not the way they live, how they talk, the places they go, what they do. You know, it's no wonder that a lot of the churches in this world today are not impacting this world. 
It really is. You think about it. You say, well, how come the church isn't the way it used to be? When, you know, when, when, when uh, even governments were like, we don't know what to do. We don't know what's going on. They used to turn to the church. They said, well, we need to find out. We need to bring in the priests. We need to bring in, you know, the, 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 the pastors. We need to bring them in and say, what's going on? What can we do? But now it's, you know, they're pushing us away. It's like, oh, no, no, no. We don't want to hear what you got to say. Because why? Because we don't have the impact that we used to have. Because why? Because we're, some of us, some churches say, not this church, hello, not this church. We're not out of step with the world. They're in step with the world. A lot of seeker-friendly things going on. Can I hear an amen? Right? We got we to make sure that we, you know, we want people to want to come in and we don't want to offend anybody. And psh, I don't care if somebody gets offended. If I say the word name of Jesus and somebody gets offended, so be it. Praise God. Amen. I could, you know, I mean, it sounds harsh. It might not be something to say across the board, but I could care less. If I say the name of Jesus and somebody gets offended, I could care less. You know, hopefully it'll provoke them to, you know, get saved somehow, some way. You know, but that's just the day that we live in. That's the times we, that's the culture we live in today. Amen. <clears throat> and the Bible also says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, and if we were ever going to be holy, if we are ever going to be out of step with the world, we must control our lusts more. I'm sorry, that's not what the book 1 John says. I'm just kind of paraphrasing. You see, all sin is a result of what? Lust. Sin is a result of lust. The word of God teaches us that in 1 John. It says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away. And also it's lust. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. See, all sin is either the result of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, which is the desire for things, or the lust of for pride, praise, or accomplishment. Isn't that a lot of the stuff that's happening in the world today? Everybody's all about me. It's all about what I can get. It's all about what I can accomplish, right? I got I to gotta climb that, that corporate ladder. I don't care who I step on to get there. As long as I got to make more money, more money, right? That's the culture that we're living in right now. It's lust. It's a lustful world, lustful culture that we're living in right now. And we need to control our lust because we have a sin nature. Hello? We all have a sin nature. We all have naturally... We were created, we have this sin nature in us to want to do things that please the, the flesh, that pleases this, right? And God is saying, no, we have to learn to control that. We need to control our lust, but why? Listen to what Paul says here. Each of us needs to learn to control our body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in a passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. Because we know God. The heathen don't know God. I, I kind of like that word. Heathen. The heathens or the pagans. Don't go out calling anybody heathens or anything like that. Praise God. But that's what Paul calls them. The people that don't know God. But we know God. So we know that we're to live at a different standard. We're to live on the high roads. Hello. We're to live at the high roads. Now, Paul is specifically talking about sexual immorality because in that culture, like our own today, and we can parallel this here this morning, almost word for word, sin by sin of what's going on in our world today. He's talking about sexual immorality, just like our culture today. People were sexually deranged, sexually immoral. They, were not, they, weren't looking, they weren't even looked down upon for the things that they were doing. Can I hear an amen? It wasn't like there was people going, oh my God, what are they, do what are they doing? We can't have that. It wasn't happening. Sexual immorality it wasn't looked down upon. It was accepted. It was the norm like it is today. It's the norm today. Can I hear an amen? The moral climate in the Roman Empire was not healthy. Immorality was a way of life. And thanks to slavery, people had the leisure time to indulge in the latest pleasure. 
when you think about it, what was going on there in the Roman Empire at that time, during the biblical time, it was people had just all this extra time to do whatever they wanted, and they did. They did whatever they wanted, just like today. It's crazy what's going on right now, and it's the norm. We're not looking down, at least, you know, the church. We should be looking down upon it, and the people that are not even in church, non-Christians, unbelievers, should still be looking down on what's happening in our culture and say, that's not right. That is not right. We're not going to settle for that. But they're not. They begin to tolerate it. That's the culture we're in today. It's a toleration culture. It's like, oh, we don't want to offend anybody. It's like, yeah, but that kind of stuff is offensive, offending to, to me. Can I hear an amen? So the moral climate there in the Roman Empire wasn't healthy, just like today. Now, there was even things happening in the temples. There was, like, pagan worship. There was prostitutes in the temples for, for pagan worship. They would bring prostitutes into the temple. It was crazy stuff that was going on. Now, the Christian message of holy living was new to that culture. They didn't have that, that kind of teaching going on about holy living. And it wasn't easy for those young believers. I mean, we got a lot of young people out there right now that same thing going on in their lives. They, don't, they haven't heard a lot about holy living. They haven't heard a lot about living at a different level, living at another standard because of the culture that we live in. It's, it's normal for them right now. Everything that's going on right now in the world is normal for the youth of today. And it was, it was funny that it, when I was doing this message, and then yesterday I had an opportunity to go with pastor. We were in a meeting. We were, I was actually surrounded by all kinds of police, amen, and it was okay. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And there was like chiefs of police were there, you know, from San Francisco, Palo Alto. Our chief of police was there, and there was different people there. And, uh, and one of the common things that kept coming up in the questions that they were asking the different people that were on the different chiefs of police was they were asking about the youth, Things that were happening in their cities with the youth and how are we going to, you know, what can we do? What's going on? You know, they're, they're experimenting with this and they're, they're getting involved in that. And I began to think, wow, that's, that is true. Things are happening within our youth today. And one of the guys that was there, I can't remember, I think he was from East Palo Alto. He was saying that the things that they're experiencing today are going to have an impact in, their, in, in, our, in our cities 10 years from now. Because they're now, they're just growing up and they're just beginning to be, you know, experimenting with, you know, smoking weed or, you know, using meth or with these different things. And they're just starting that stuff now. But 10 years from now, they're going to turn into the dirty white boy like I was. Hmm? They're going to turn into those guys that you see sitting on the corner, just knotted out, stuck, you know, doing robberies, homicides, all these different things. But it's all starting now. It's beginning now. Because they haven't, they have, they're not being taught about holy living. Just like the youth or the young people that are back that were back in this time in the Testament, they were not learning about that kind of stuff until Jesus came. Then when Jesus came, it was something totally new, something transforming. He transformed their mindset. And I think it's the same thing that we need to do today. We need to do more. We need to do more. Can I hear more? And it's not just, you know, the youth ministry's responsibility. We can't say, well, the youth of our city is messed up because the youth ministry in our church is not doing their job. No. We got to do our job. We got to do our job. Are you with me? We got to do more. We got to back up our youth ministry. We got to say, what is it you need? How can we help you to reach those that are out there? How can we help you to reach the, the young people that are out there just beginning to experiment with drugs, just beginning, you know, to get caught up in these different things, to have these dysfunctional families? Because how many know that that was another thing that came out too was it's not just about the kid. You can reach the kid. You can, you can touch the kid, but then you can't put them back into an environment that's all messed up. You got to reach the whole family. And how many know that that's what we're called to do? Hello? When he was talking, when this guy was talking, I was saying, oh, that's us right there. That's us. That's Victory Outreach. We're called not to just re reach the drug addict. We're called to reach the whole family. We're called to reach the whole family for Jesus. Because you get the whole family, oh, my gosh, 
you get the kid, you get the family, then you, they get their family, then it just, it's like a spider web. And it just goes out and it begins to touch people after people after people. And that's what we're called to do. So we got to do more. Somebody say more. We got to do more. We got to help our young people. Amen. Because there's a lot of temptation that they're fighting right now. And in as many ways we see much of the same thing, again, like I said, happening in our culture today. Just about every TV program revolves around sex. And if you want to see people and how bad people really can be, just watch TV. You want to see how deranged people can be? <laughs> just watch TV. You don't even have to go outside your house anymore to see deranged people, right? You don't got to go to the ghetto. You don't got to go down, you know, to Skid Row, down in L.A. to go see people that are deranged, messed up, just got no hope in life. All you got to do is turn on your TV. And they're right there. Amen. They're getting paid for it. Hello. It's crazy. And people are, oh, that was great. People are watching that and clapping. Oh, did you see what was on? Did you see last night? Right? And also, I mean, like, remember Jerry Springer? Right? Just people would, they love that stuff. They suck that stuff up. It's like, how can you, how can you applaud that stuff? Like, yeah, that was great. That was awesome. Really? That was, that was sick. That was sick. Uncles and nieces, and that's crazy. But that's reality. A lot of it is reality. A lot of it's making, but a lot of it is reality. That's what's going on in this world. Amen? But we as Christians, we're not to be like that. And Paul says the reason is because we know God. We know, right? We know better. How many guys ever tell your kids that? They say, but why? Because I know better. Because I know different. And that's why. Because we know different. We know something that they don't know. Which is what? That God has a plan. God has a purpose. And that he wants to save them. He wants to give them a destiny. We know this. And we're supposed to go out there and tell it to them. Amen? Now, knowing God is supposed to make a difference in our lives. Right? Knowing God is supposed to make a difference in my life. If it wasn't supposed to make a difference, then why should I know God? Right? Black and white. If, if it's not supposed to make a difference, why should I know? Have you guys ever seen that movie, The Right Stuff? Older movie? No, nobody? Okay. Maybe I won't use that analogy then. You guys, never, you guys ever seen the movie, The Right Stuff? Come on, The Right Stuff. Anyways, it's about the birth of our space program. Now, there was a scene in the movie where uh, after Gus, Gus Grissom had just made the second launch into space and some of the test pilots who were not selected to be astronauts were watching clips on the news, and one of them was uh, Chuck Yeager. And another man in the room who was jealous of the incredible uh, attention that the other seven astronauts were receiving, he said the following things in, in a response to a, to a public, they made a big deal out of it. He said, but you think the public would know that they're just doing what the monkeys have done, right? Right, because you know how many of the monkeys was the first thing to go into space, right? A comment to which Chuck Yeager responded in this way, do you think a monkey knows he's sitting on top of a rocket that might explode? These astronaut boys, they know and they see and I'll tell you something, it takes a special kind of man to volunteer for a suicide mission, especially when it's on TV. And then the guy goes on to say, yeah, I guess he did all right. And then Jaeger walked away and the guy hung his head down and kind of made him feel a little ashamed. Amen. But you see, we know God. And we know what kind of God he is and what he expects. Can I hear an amen? And therefore, we are not to be like a monkey flying around in a capsule daily, right? We're not supposed to be a monkey. We're not, that's not what we're called to be, to be monkeys. Because we know God. Monkey, he doesn't know. He doesn't know he was sitting in a rocket. It could explode. He could die. No, mm. But we know God. We know what's going on. We know what we've been called to do. We know that we're, we're supposed to go into those dangerous areas and that, you know, hey, it might cost us our life someday. God has called us to lay down our life for the gospel. We know this. And we know that God has called us to be holy. We also know that Paul writes that the Lord will punish men for all such sins as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call you to be impure, but to live a holy life. 
We need to control our lust more. The lust of the flesh, the lust of sexual lust, lust for food, lust for laziness, or be the lust for the things of the world, fame, money, power, praise, or position. Knowing God should make a visible difference in the way that we live our lives because we've been called to be holy. If you're called to be holy and you're living a holy life, you're going to be different. People are going to know that you're different. They're going to know there's something wrong with Hey, there's something different about that guy. He's not the same as everybody else. Can I hear an amen? I heard a story about a guy on the beach who weighed over 300 pounds, and he had a T-shirt on, and it read, I conquered anorexia. <laughs> Living testimony. Right? Couldn't deny it. Right? Can't deny the fact. Living testimony. But see, people ought to see in us in such a way that they can't deny that the Lord has been working in our lives as well. Right? When they look at you and they go, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. They say he's holy. He's holy. He's holy. There's no denying it. Amen. That's how people should look at us. When they see a loving marriage, when they see disciplined children, when they see honesty on the job, they see a great attitude at school, they see a joyful spirit, they see kindness to other people, they ought to say, it's true. Jesus Christ is alive in that person. Jesus Christ is alive in you. I can see it. There's something different. We need to be a living testimony. Somebody say living testimony. A third reason for going to the deep end is because if we don't, the world can pull us back. You see, now, the culture that the Thessalonican Christians were living in, as we said before, was not a godly one. It wasn't a godly, there was a lot of pagan worship going on, a lot of stuff that was happening. And Paul knew that if they didn't keep moving, if they stopped growing, amen, if they stayed too long in the barnyard eating the corn, right, that they might get used to it there. They might decide to stay. Hello. It's going on in our culture today again. Stuff that's going on around us. If we stop growing, we stop doing what we're doing now, we could get caught up in that. We could start feeding to that stuff. And, oh, yeah, it's, actually, it's not too bad. The next thing you know, we're out there. We're right back out there. Pulls us back in. Amen? Because that's, you know, once we get saved, that's the enemy's, enemy's tactic on a lot of us. He tries to just pull us back in. He tries to pull us back in. But we got to be anchored to Christ. Amen? Now, Paul knew that a Christian must keep moving forward or else they would end up what? Going backwards. If you're not moving forward, I'm telling you right now, you're going backwards. There's no such thing as neutral. And I, 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 that used to be my biggest thing. Like Pastor Selma was saying, he's, he used to ask me to do stuff. He's like, hey, tell me, you nah, I'm good. I'm not going to do it. Because I was, and I even told Pastor, I told your dad one time, he was like, you know, Toby, you got to, I said, you know what, Pastor, I'm good. I'm all right. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not using, I'm not doing nothing. I'm coming to church. I'm just in neutral right now. I'm just cruising. And he, was, he just looked at me and he goes, Toby, if you're not going forward, you're going backwards. There is no neutral in Christianity. If you're not going forward, going backwards. You might not be turning around going backwards, but you might be, huh, you might be Michael Jackson doing a moonwalk, and you don't even know it. Amen? It, I'm, t- I'm being honest. And, 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 I, and I learned that lesson the hard way. He told me that, and I was just like, ah, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Right? You think, you know better, right? But man, I thank God for, for a man that, you know, told me like it was. Because then when it happened to me, I looked at him and I was like, he was right. Right? We hate doing that again. He was right. But he was. He was absolutely right. So some of you, somebody might need to hear that here this morning. There's no neutral in Christianity. You can't cruise through life in Christianity. You can try, but sooner or later, Michael Jackson shows up. Next thing you know, man, you're like, how did I get here? And I know, that's what happened to me. Exact words came out of my mouth. What happened? Why am I here? And I was sitting in a jail cell. <laughs> I'm saved, sanctified, set free, right? And I'm sitting in a jail cell going, what did I do to get here? You know? And it's because what Pastor Steve said, there's no neutral in Christianity. If you're not going forward, you're going 
backwards. And Paul knew that. He knew that if a Christian wasn't growing, wasn't going forward, that he did not move forward, he was going to be going backwards. And that we would be influenced by the world's value system. How do you know that this world has a value system? Because you know we have core values in, in our ministry, right? We have things that we believe, we have things that we hold dear to here in our ministry that we believe keeps us rooted and grounded in, in our faith, amen? But the world has a value system as well. When you go back, if you go out into the world and you just, begin, just watch people, and you'll be able to pick up on the value systems of the world, you'll be like, wow, I think that's okay. You know, wow. They think it's all about the money. That's a value system in there. It's all about the money. Right? Get all you can and can all you get. That's one of the value systems out there in the world. They have their own value system. And if you don't think this is true, consider how many things are no longer considered wrong today by those who, you know, uh, claim to be a Christian. Because a lot of Christians, they get caught up in the value systems of the world still. They still think things are okay. Even after they come to Christ. You know, premarital sex, it's okay. Homosexuality, it's all right. You gotta love them, right? Of course we do. You gotta love them. God has called us to love people no matter what. Doesn't make the things they do okay. Premarital sex, homosexuality, abortion, it's okay. It's a value system in the world today. To live in this world and not have its values affect us takes a lot of deliberate effort. Can I hear an amen? To live in this world and not let the value systems of this world affect us takes a lot of deliberate effort. you got to work at it. It's not just going to happen. Just because you come to church doesn't mean it's not going to affect you. You can't just come to church and sit here in church on Sunday mornings and think, oh, I'm going to be good. I'll go back on the world and everything will be okay. I'm not going to let that. That stuff's not going to affect me. But it will. To live in this world, it's going to take a lot of deliberate effort. See, it's hard to stay clean while living in a garbage dump. Right? It's hard to stay clean if you're living in a dump. Now, there was a story in USA Today. They did a short story on a, a, this boy. His name was Kevin. I can't pronounce it. I'm just going to call him Kevin. His name was Kevin. He was from Sierra Madre, California. Now, the story was about Kevin's love for trash. Kevin is a nine-year-old boy, and he's fixated on garbage. He not only likes garbage, but he also likes garbage containers, garbage trucks, garbage books, and garbage videos. Early photos of him in the family scrapbook show him inspecting trash cans at SeaWorld. He has a photo collection of, of, uh, that he calls it Garbage Trucks World, taken from him by family members on different trips that he's been on. Now, Kevin's mother, Marsha, said it's been garbage since he was two years old. You have no idea what it's like having a child who has a passion for trash. Let me say that one again. You have no idea what it's like having a, a child who has a passion for trash. She's right. I, I don't. <laughs> I don't know what it's like. But I wonder if it's how God feels about us sometimes. Right? I wonder if it's how God feels about us sometimes. Far too often our minds are not focused on the things of God. We're not focused on Him, but rather on the things of this world. If we're honest, some of us would have to admit that even times, you know, that even times though our children of, we're children of God, like Kevin, we have a passion for trash. We read trashy books. We read trashy magazines, we watch trashy TV shows, right? We listen to trashy jokes. Sometimes we might even tell, tell trashy jokes, right? Sometimes we have a passion for trash. We go to trashy movies, we use trashy language. Understand it, that it's real hard to live in a garbage dump without picking something up. If you're living in a garbage dump, you're going to pick something up. Something's going to get stuck to you. Can I hear an amen? See, therefore, that's why we need to keep moving. We need to keep on growing. Why? Because when we do it, it's harder for the world to affect us. When we keep on moving, and we're moving, oh, and something comes our way, and those values try to come at us, we're able to get out of the way. No, 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 I'm going to keep moving. I'm going to move over here. That's not right. 
I know that's not right because I know God. Right? But when we, we stop and say, I'm a Christian, and you just, you're just there, things begin to surround you, things begin to grab a hold of you, the value systems of the world just begin to, to latch on you. But when you're moving and you say, no, 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 I'm doing something for God. I got to do something for God. Come on, I'm, I got to do something for God. I'm going to go to a Bible study tonight. I got to do something for God. Come on, you know what? I'm going to I'm gonna go to 8 o'clock on Sunday morning, meet with pastor, meet with the guys. I'm going to go. I got to do something for God. Right? I got to move classes are coming. Come on, I got to do something for God. I, I gotta, God's got something for me. I'm not stopping. I'm, I'm moving. I'm growing. I'm growing because I know that if I stop, I could die. Can I hear an amen? So we got to keep moving. See, the longer we stay in the garbage dump, the longer we hang out in the barnyard. The greater is the effect the world has on us. And we begin to get used to it. And when we begin to soon, we won't even notice it anymore. We won't even notice the difference. So you see here, Paul was very excited about the, the new faith of these Thessalonican Christians. He was really excited. He was, he, was, he was just like, wow, this is great. What's going on here in the city? It's awesome. But he also knew that a good start doesn't make up for a lousy finish. Can I hear an amen? He knew a lot of people who had started the race but didn't finish strong. Jesus gave a warning about this in a parable of the sower. And it's there in the book of Matthew, chapter 13. It says, the seeds that fell on rocky ground are the people who gladly hear the message and accept it right away. Right? They get all stoked, right? They get all pumped up. Wow. Woo, did you hear that word? That was awesome. That was great. But they don't last very long. Right? It's kind of like what they say. It's get them spiritual goosebumps. Like, Woo, do you feel that? Right? But then it doesn't last very long. As soon as life gets hard or the message gets them, you know, gets in trouble, they get to start getting in trouble, they begin to give up. They forget about that exciting word they heard. Forget all about that. They just give up. And the seeds that fell among the thorn bushes are also those people who hear the message, but they start worrying about the needs of this life and are fooled by the desire to get rich. So the message gets choked out. They never produce anything. Amen? We have to keep moving to overcome the world. Let me put it this way. Okay, we all know what gravity is, right? Everybody knows what gravity is? It's like keeps you from floating away. Hello. It's not just because I'm, I got a little roundness going on right here that keeps me grounded. It's gravity. Amen. It's not, it's not size. I need It's gravity. Gravity keeps us on the ground. Now, if I was to fill a bucket with water and I was to turn it upside down, what would happen? Okay. Yeah. All right. Exactly. It wasn't very hard, right? You turn the bucket upside down on water, it's going gonna, it's gonna to fall out. It's going to dump out. Now, how can you come overcome the gravitational pull of, of water on a bucket? Any science buffs in here? All right. Nobody? All right. Wow. I, was, I was actually contemplating getting a bucket of water and doing it and showing you how to do it. But uh, the best way I can say it is, is, is to put it like this. If I got a bucket of water and put it on a roller coaster, close the thing, and put it on the demon, right, Great America, or the tidal wave, Great America, and that bucket goes... As soon as it goes up in that circle, what's going to happen? What's going to happen to the water? It's going to stay in the bucket, right? It's the same way that if you were to, if you were to sit in that seat and latch yourself in, or even if you didn't latch, you just didn't latch yourself in, you said, go for it, hit the button, and you went around, what do we think would happen? You think you would fall out? No, you wouldn't fall out. It's a centrifugal force, right? Creates the gravity that was going to hold that water in the bucket. But it's actually, what, what, creates, what creates that centrifugal force? Movement. It's the movement that creates the, the, it's that, 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 that momentum, that movement that happens within that roller coaster that launches it up like that. It keeps the water from falling out of, keeps you from falling out of uh, the roller coaster. The little latches they put on you, that's, that's just for looks. 
That's really, you know, it's the gravity. It's centrifugal force that holds you in there. You're not going to fall out. Even if you didn't have it on, you're not going to fall out unless it stopped. <laughs> if the roller coaster stopped at the top, you'd fall. Praise the Lord. But it's because of the movement. Somebody say movement. It's the movement that keeps it there. And that's the same thing with us. It's the movement that's going to keep us more or less rooted in, in Jesus Christ. It's our movement. Keep moving. You've got to keep moving. Don't stop. Keep moving, right? Can't stop, won't stop. Hello. Love that song. Can't stop, won't stop. Because if you stop, what happens? Fall out of the bucket. Another reason is because Jesus is worth doing more. Amen. Jesus is worth going to the deep end. Think about it. How hopeless you were. How hopeless I was. And I shared, I was just a dirty white boy. I remember how hopeless I was living in my car. You know, I'm, I had a wife. I had kids. But I was living in my car without my wife and my kids. I was, I was messed up. I was hopeless. I didn't have any hope. And I think about that, where I was at. Think about the sin that I was involved in, shackled down, excuse me, bound by drug addiction and, and pride and different things. And I think about the debt that Jesus Christ paid for me, the debt that he paid. And he, the same debt that he paid for me, he paid for you. He didn't pay any less or any more for you than he did for me. It's the same price tag. We all wear the same price tag. And Jesus came and said, no problem. Got it. It's all good. And when I think about that, and I think about where I was at and what he did for me, how can I not do more? How can I not give him my everything? I don't want to give him just a little bit. I don't want to give him just a piece. I want to give him everything. He paid the price. He took the load that you couldn't carry. He took the load that I couldn't carry and that he is carrying. He took the beatings. He took the scourging. He took the spear. He took the thorns, the nails, the pain for you and I. Think about it. Think about the home that he's preparing for you and I right now, right? He didn't just do something then and was like, okay, it's done, it's over. No, he even, even after dying for us, allowing himself to hang on the cross for you and I, he said, now I'm going to go prepare a place for you. Now I'm going to go get the house ready. He didn't say, I'm going to go get you an apartment. Hello, I'm not going to go get you a duplex. The Bible says that he has a mansion in heaven for us. Hello? He has a mansion in heaven for us. He's preparing it right now. He's getting it ready. Are you guys ready? Now, when we think about these things, we realize that Jesus is worth more. He's worth our going to the deep end. He's worth doing more and going farther. Even after we've done all we can do, Jesus is still worth more. When we think about what Jesus has done and is doing and will do for us, we should be willing to throw away our floaties. Hello, you guys remember the floaties, right? Blow them up, put them on your arm. Some of you guys got kids. You guys put the floaties on your kids, right? We jump in the pool, right? Some of you guys still need floaties. Hello. When you get in the water, right? But when we think about all the things that God did for us, it's time to like, it's time to pop them floaties, man. Say, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm done with the shallow end. The shallow end had its time, because it, don't get me wrong, the shallow end, it has its time. Everybody needs to get into the shallow end. You need to, and that's where you taste and see that the Lord is good. That's where you get to taste them. You're like, oh, man, this is good. God says, oh, you think that was good. Come on to this side. Come on over to the deep end. Come on, man, this is where the cheesecake's at. Hello. Right, Pastor? That's where the cheese, strawberry cheesecake's at. Come on. For those of you who like cheesecake, that's the deep end right there. Amen? He's saying, come on. we got to kick out to the deep end. we got to cut off them floaties and start to kick out to the deep end. Right? To the end of, of life and service for him. <clears throat> and finally, why do we need to go to the deep end? One more thing. Why do we need to go to the deep end within our Christianity? Because the deep end is where all the fun is. Right? How many know that being a Christian is fun? Oh, you guys are not having fun. 
you guys ain't Christians then. I'm just kidding. Being a Christian is fun. Being a Christian is, is I'm having more fun, and I've, I've done more things in my life since I've been a Christian than I've ever done before in my life. And, I, and, and it's like, wow, I can only imagine what my life would have been like without getting saved. I, I would have been, lived a boring life. It would have been boring. I mean, not every second of the day is like, woohoo, it's fun. But at the end of my day, I can pretty much go, woohoo. I had a good day. Come on, I had a good day. I'm alive. Right? I can dance and say, you know what? I'm saved. I'm sanctified. My wife loves me. My kids love me. I got great grandchildren. I got a job. You know, and I'm involved in church. Man, today was a good day. Woo, I had fun. Right? Some of us, we used to just, man. We used to walk in, we used to walk in the house and be like, oh, God, you know? And that's what we used to do too. God. And he's going, what? You know, come on. Right? And, and it was, every day was no fun. Every day was just another headache, another trial that we couldn't get through. But every day with God is fun. That's where we go to the deep end. You guys like to have fun? Get out of the shallow end. Go to the, do you ever see the kids that are in the deep end? Right? You go to the pool. And they're like, ah! Whoosh, and they're jumping and diving and flipping. And you can't dive into the shallow end. Hello. I tried it. A couple times. Luckily, I got a hard head. Amen. You try to dive into the shallow end, you're going to hit the bottom real fast. There's things you can't do in the shallow end that you can only do in the deep end, right? And that's where all the fun is, man. The Bible says in Mark 8, if you insist on saving your life, you will lose it. Only those who throw their lives away for the sake, for the gospel, for the good news, will ever know what it's really to live, whatever it means to really live. You guys ready to really live? You guys ever taught anybody to swim before? Well, I remember when I was growing up, I was in junior high school, and uh, I was actually going to summer school. And there was, I, I grew up, I was a swimmer growing up. I was on the, uh, the Newark Sharks for the, the city swim team as a young kid. Um, so I had a, sw- I, was, I was a swimmer. I had a swimmer's body then. <laughs> I was thin. I was very, very thin. I was like one of them little, I was thin. So I was a good swimmer, and I was tall for my age. So I was good, you know, I had, I had long arms and long legs. So I had, you know, I had good reach, and so I was a good swimmer. And uh, so I was on the swim team, so I was very good at swimming. And I was there at the summer school, and I remember they were having a summer program where they were, you know, they had swim lessons there for kids. And so me and my, my, my friends was like, hey, let's go, let's go teach kids to swim. And we're like, yeah, let's cut summer school. Let's go teach kids to swim. So that's what we did. We said, forget summer school. We just cut summer school, and we went and taught kids to swim. I thought we were doing a good thing. But um, teaching kids to swim was can be pretty, pretty traumatic. Not for me, but for the kids, right? It can be very traumatic for some of them. Right? You ever see? You ever see those kids that are like they they're hanging on for dear life, you, you know? And you're in the shallow end. And they're like, no, 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 no. And their mom or dad is sitting right there, and they're they're crying, mom, 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 dad, dad, dad. You know, they're crying. And they're like, no, you're okay. Go ahead, go ahead. You know? And they're like, no, and they don't they don't want to let go. They don't want to let go of the you know of the, of the wall. And you're standing behind them going, come on, come on. That's what God is doing. God is going, come on, let go of the wall. Come on, let go. It's okay. I'm here. Let go. It's the same thing in the deep end. Sometimes we would no, no, no. I want to stay in the shallow. I want to stay over here. I'm good. I'm all right. Right? And you're just like, you're treading water. You're treading water. I'm good. I'm all right. But God is saying, no. Come over here. Come over here where the fun is. Hello. I remember teaching kids like that. I mean, I used to get scratched and my eye gouged out because they would finally leave. They would finally let go of the wall or something. They would just start flailing and... You're like, whoa, oh my God, you know, it was like, it was crazy. But sometimes we do the same thing, 
right? Even in our Christian walks. You let go of the wall, and it's, ah, and you go crazy. It's okay. It's okay. That's why the church is here, to beat me back down. It's all right. I'm going to direct you. I'm going to take you over to the deep end. And that's what we would do. They would start going crazy, and we just, no, 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 hold on, no, no. And we grab their hands. Come on, come on, come on. Kick, 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 kick. Kick, kick, kick. And we would just bring them. Come on, kick, 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 kick. And we would just lead them around the pool. Kick, 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 kick. We tell them, come on, kick, kick. Next thing you know, they're in the deep end. We let go. We let go. I'm letting go. I'm letting go. No, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're good. You're okay. Let go. Kick, kick, kick. And we would just let go. Next thing you know, they were kicking around the deep end. They're like, hey, hey, I can do this. Hey. All of a sudden they go, oh. And then sometimes they would grab the wall. But it was okay because they got the experience and then they wanted to do it again. They had the experience and they wanted to do it again. And sometimes it's the same way we are. You just got to have that experience. Just step out. Step on out. Just let go of the wall because Jesus is out there. He's out there. He's going, come on. Come on, he's going to grab a hold of you and say, come on, kick. Come on, kick. Kick those feet. Come on, you can do it. And the next thing you know, you're out there all by yourself, jumping, doing flips, right? Having a good time, saying, wow, why did I ever stay in the shallow end? Man, these are experiences I never would have had before. I never would have gone to Indonesia if I would have stayed in the shallow end. Never would have went to another country if I would have stayed in the shallow end. If I would have said, no, it's okay, Pastor, I'm good. You know, I'm, I'm all right being the head usher over here. I'm good. I'm all right. You know, and it was weird because she, when she asked us, it was, kind of, it was funny because me and my wife were just having a conversation like three or four days before. And I was like, how come they never asked us to go to the mission field? Not because I was like, you know, her. And I was just like, I was just curious. I just, we were just talking. And she goes, I don't know. And I was like, okay, whatever. And then like, like next Sunday morning, Pastor Joe, she says, I talked to you guys after service. And I was like, sure. I'm looking at my wife like, what'd you do? <laughs> she said, like, what'd I do? What'd you do? I didn't do nothing. Right? And she was like, oh, well, you know, I need somebody to go to Indonesia for a year and, and go over there and help the transition. And would you guys be willing to go? And I was just like, I knew it was going to. But we were just talking about it. It was like, you're, you know, it was like, wow. But I jumped out. I mean, we jumped out into the deep end. It wasn't like I was holding onto the wall. And I, I mean, I, I just knew it was God. And God said, come on, come into the deep end. And I did. Me and my wife, we jumped. We jumped both feet. We quit our jobs. We said, see you later, jobs. And we had good jobs, but we just jumped in and said, man, we've been having fun ever since. Ever since, man. These are things that you, you can't put a price tag on these things. <laughs> See, going to the deep end was a challenge. Going to the deep end is always going to be a challenge. It was a challenge for me. It's going to be a challenge for you. But how do you know that when you, when, you come, when you go up against a challenge, you say, you know what, I'm going to take that challenge. You're going to benefit from it. I guarantee it. <clears throat> Paul wanted to... Thessalonian Christians, and he wants us to know today as well that God loves us. God loves us so much that he wants the best for us. And he knows that the best for us is not to stay in the shallow end. He knows that the best for us is to go into the deep. I'm going to paraphrase Mark 8.35. It says, you insist on staying in the shallow end, you won't have much fun. Only those who throw away their floaties and swim to the deep end for me and for the good news will ever know what it really means to really live and have fun. And let me tell you about a few people in the Bible who spent much of their life kicking and splashing around in the deep end. And you'll understand what I mean about what real fun is about. Real fun in real life is about Noah floating around on his ark. Moses parting the Red Sea. Joshua making the walls of Jericho fall down. Gideon defeating 135,000 warriors with only 300 men. David standing in the deep end slaying a 10-foot giant. Esther saving her nation from total annihilation. Peter walking on water. Paul and Silas singing praise songs while chained in prison. 
They were in the deep end. And I believe that they were having a good time. <clears throat> Bow your heads with me here this morning. Maybe here this morning you might find yourself in the shallow end of Christianity. Maybe you just got saved. Maybe you've been saved for a while. Or maybe you're not even saved. Maybe you're still just dipping your foot into that living water. It's okay. We all had to dip our feet one time. We all had to put our toes in and try the water and say, wow, this feels good. And we all had to take the step, go ankle deep, go knee deep, even waist deep into the things of God. But it's okay. It's, it's okay if you're in the shallow end. There's nothing wrong with the shallow end. The shallow end has its purpose. The shallow end has a purpose for our lives. So we get accustomed to the things. That's where we begin to, to learn about God and know about what he, he wants for our lives. And, but once we learn those things, once we find out what it is that God has for us, once we find it, what it is, the, the plan that he has for our lives and that he loves us so much that he doesn't want us to stay there, we're called to go to the deep end. We're called to get out of the shallow and to kick our way down to the deep end. God is telling us, don't settle for the corn. Don't settle for the so-called good life. Because it's really not the good life. It's the good life by whose standards? The world's standards? Or God's standards? Because God's standards are much higher. His good life is much better than the values and the standards of the world. He's telling us today, don't settle for a dull, safe life in the shallow waters of Christianity. Don't be like the wild duck of Denmark. Don't be like the duck. Be like the child of God that he created you to be. And here this morning, maybe, you know, you're not saved. You want to tip your foot. You want to put your foot in the water and you say, you know, I want to taste that. I want to know what it feels like to have a better life, to have a holy life. Because the things I, the life I've lived hasn't been holy, hasn't been uh, up to God's standards. And I'm tired of living this life. Well, here this one, I believe God wants to speak specifically to you to let you know that God loves you. God has a plan for your life. He didn't create you. He didn't create you to be in that, in that lifestyle, to be in that situation in your life. He's called you to be a child of the Most High God. He's called you to live a life of holiness, separated from the world, separated from all that madness. Even though we have to live in this world, we're not of this world. We're different. We're separated. We're not supposed to be in line with the things of this world. We're supposed to be out of line. We're supposed to be oddballs, if you will, in this world. God has called us to be not normal. People used to tell me all the time, you're not normal. I used to think, I never liked that. So I always wanted to be normal. Somebody needed here this morning need to know you're not normal. There's no, there's no such thing as normal in Christianity. Christians are not normal. We're abnormal. That's what makes us different. 
here this morning, God has really pressed upon my heart for married couples. Because I know that married couples, we go through it. We really, really go through it. And a lot of times we struggle with a lot of this stuff as married couples. Temptations, you know, because we're two separate people, two different personalities. Sometimes we work two different jobs and we deal with two different whole, you know, different parts of the world and sometimes we try to come together and sometimes it just doesn't, it doesn't mesh. We have trouble meshing together and, and I know it's hard because I'm married, I know. Marriage is, marriage is work. Married couples, I know, they know what I'm talking about. Married couples, it's hard work, but it's worth it. It's worth it. Getting married is going to the deep end, man. Getting married is going to the deep end. It's like jumping out of the pan into the fire, deep end, but it's worth it. So worth it. I thank God for my wife. If it wasn't for my wife, I know I'd still be out there. I know without a shadow of a doubt, I'd still be out there lost and bound if it wasn't for my wife. Of course, for God, but not for my wife. So God has really pressed upon my heart to pray for the married couples. If you're married here, so I want you to come forward to the altar this morning. My, that's going to be my first altar call. I want the married couples to come because I want to pray with you. Because I know we struggle. Married couples, we struggle. It's hard. We struggle with a lot of the, the things that we, I spoke about, a lot of the lust of pride. The lust of flesh. Sometimes it's we want things, that we want what we want. Even if it's not the things that our, our spouse wants, we want it. Why can't I have it? Why can't you see it the way I see it? Because we, sometimes we, the enemy's blinded us. Our spiritual eyes, we're not able to see. All we can see is the, 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 the value system of the world is beginning to overtake us sometimes. We get caught up in that as married couples. But I know that God, when God builds the couples, man, God is going to build the church. Because the couples are the backbone of the ministry. When we have strong couples, we have a strong church. Because when people come in and they see the, the, the men and women, the husbands and wives, serving God together and going forward for God together and doing things in the ministry together, oh, my God. They begin to get encouraged. They say, wow, the power of God is here. And here this morning, as you're here holding your spouse's hand, I want you to just lift your hands. and I just want to pray with you here this morning. Father. Right now, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I thank you for each and every married couple that's here. You know exactly what they're going through. You know the hang-ups, my God. You know the complexes that they go through, Lord Jesus, day by day by day. Father, but Lord, we know that you've not called them to live single. You've called them to live united, married, God, joined together, Father, for your honor and for your glory, Lord. And Father, I know that they go through things. We go through things as married couples, Lord, that sometimes try to pull us apart, try to separate us. Father, right now I pray in the name of Jesus for your power. Pray for your anointing upon every husband, every wife, God. You would anoint them. Give them your spirit, God. Just begin to outpour, God, your Holy Ghost upon their lives and in their marriage, God. Join, get them closer together to you, Lord God, because as long as they're getting closer to you, Father, they're going to get closer together. They're going to become more of one. A oneness is going to happen within their lives. And Father, Lord, I just thank you for what you're going to do in each and every one of their lives, each and every marriage. Father, I thank you because there's there's pastors, pastors' wives here at this altar right now. They don't know it, but one day, God, you're going to raise them up. You're going to use them. You can use their marriage for your honor, for your glory. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And as AJ begins to play, I'm going to go ahead and invite anybody else. You say, you know what? This message ministered to me. Go ahead and come to the altar. And here this morning, maybe you don't know Christ as your Savior. Come on, come to the altar. I want to pray with you.